All right. Ready to go. So today, thank you all for coming. Um, we're going to be discussing a bit of a, can be a difficult topic. Uh, we're going to be talking about suffering and specifically and how that can pertain to being a fruitful disciple, which on its face might seem a little contradictory, um, but it's not. Uh, and as we learn to trust God's plan, uh, hopefully I can unfold a little bit of that for you tonight. So we're going to get started with our reading, and it's from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-7. through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Hold on, I forgot I'm running the slides tonight. (laughs) The Father of mercies and comfort and God of all our comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So, there's a lot to unpack. So uh, hopefully this will not take all evening, and uh, you guys will be able to get out of here at some point. Um, but uh, the, the intro is a little long, so bear with me. Um, as I said, we're going to be talking about suffering and, and specifically how that pertains to being a fruitful disciple of God. However, before we can jump into that specific discussion, uh, I felt like it was very important that we need to lay some foundation work for that discussion. Um, suffering and, and how we view it is not one of the, if not the biggest objection that I feel that most people have to Christianity and to their faith. I myself thought that, you know, I, I had a, uh, an intellectual problem with God when I was an atheist before I gave my life to the Lord. Uh, and, you know, I thought God and science had been disproven God, and it was all a delusion and all that, that nonsense. Um, but that simply wasn't true. That was the lie that I was telling myself that was more comfortable than the real truth, right? The real truth was that I truly struggled with my own personal suffering, right? And the suffering that I saw in the world and around me, and I couldn't reconcile that with the idea of what I'd been taught of who God was. And so I simply just couldn't wrap my hand around it. This issue, typically, um, is referred to as the the problem of evil. Uh, And and it goes simply stated that, you know, if God is all-powerful, then why do bad things happen in its simplest form? Uh, And again, I cannot stress enough how important being able to answer and respond to people to this question is with your Christian testimony, with evangelizing, with raising up disciples, with you yourself being a disciple. The world is broken. You know, and we're broken people. 
and the world knows that it's broken. You know, Christians know this, non-Christians know this. You know, just go on an hour of social media and you'll see everybody complaining about everything. You know, everybody understands that something is wrong. We look up people hurting and look and try and find any type of solution. A very clear example of this in our current culture in America is the transgender movement. Um, people uh, feel like something is wrong, right? And they feel like there's some sort of change required or some sort of transformative change that needs to occur. And they seek drastic measures. But they're not wrong in acknowledging that something is wrong. We live in a fallen world. We know that. However, they don't have God to fall back on where we do. As Christians, we have this transformation, this renewing of our minds in Christ that allows us to change our perspective. And that's what we have to take into account when we're talking about suffering, is that we can't think of it from simply a worldly perspective. It's not in how we view the world. It's not in how comfortable we are in the world. We have to look at it from God's perspective. When we're engaging with these individuals, though, be them Christian, be them non-Christian, my heart just breaks for these people, right? How do we interact with them in a world that we see so much pain, so many problems? We've all known suffering. I myself um, suffer from uh, I suffer from major depressive disorder, um, and it. Uh, results in serious anxiety issues for myself. Um, I mean, it can be so overwhelming that it, it literally manifests physical symptoms. Um, you know, I get short of breath, my head swims, my chest feels tight, I can't breathe. You know, if God was good, wouldn't he want me to not suffer from that affliction? We all know people in this building that have suffered. How do we discuss the subject of suffering? How do we understand God's purpose behind it? God is in control, isn't he? Well, Tim, you're right. The answer is most assuredly, yes, he is. So, nope, nope, there we go. So this problem of evil, there are two very important aspects that we need to know, and unfortunately I don't have enough time uh, to cover either of them adequately. In fact, when I ran through this earlier, it was like 50, 60 minutes long, so hopefully it's going to be shorter than that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so this is going to be a rather brief overview, but feel free to hit me up after the sermon, online, or my phone, whatever, if you have questions about any of these things. Truly being able to understand and engage with this will strengthen your relationship with God. It will strengthen your faith, you know, and it will strengthen your ability to engage with non-believers. So the first aspect of this question that we need to understand is the emotional problem of evil, right? And what I mean by that is this is the part of the problem that doesn't require us to have like super cool logical arguments or a really solid apologetic, right? This requires us first to be caring individuals being willing to listen and show compassion to others. 
when someone is struggling with suffering, you know, they can oftentimes feel overwhelmed, you know, and if you're busting out this sweet, sweet logical deconstruction of the problem of evil, it's probably not going to be received super great. Um, it's, uh, it, it's not helpful. If you've ever told somebody to um, calm down when they're upset, it's like that. That doesn't work either. So, it would be nice if it did, but typically, no, we're also pointing out why they are upset is, uh, doesn't make much sense to you. Also, usually doesn't help the situation. It's very similar. Um, so, what we need to do is, please, again, engaging in these conversations, um, you know, show empathy, show compassion. Um, everyone, every single person that you're engaging with, regardless of their belief or where they're at, you know, they, they bear the image of God, and so they have inherent worth. Um, so please show that to them uh, in any type of discussion and engage with that first um, before, you know, going into the, the intellectual problem of evil, um, which we're going to talk about briefly now as well. So the second aspect of this problem is the intellectual problem, right? Like the actual, like, logical breakdown. Answering that question, if God is all good, why does he let bad stuff happen? Like, that's a fair question. So... There are a ton of different ways that you can answer this question. Um, most people that I have engaged with um, go into this discussion about free will and people have choices and those choices can hurt and affect other people. And that's a super solid argument. It really is. Uh, but I, I feel like it misses the point. Um, you don't have to go that far. You don't have to engage in that discussion um, if you don't want to. You know, so recently, uh, not super recently since I've been dying of strep throat, um, so I've missed the last session, but uh, recently we've been teaching on ethics with our um, student ministry with Rock Solid. Um, and who knows what ethics is? Anybody know what ethics is? Incorrect. Anybody? Nobody knows what ethics are. Lauren, I know you know what ethics are. What are ethics? Perfect. See, look. Gold star. That's the 100% right answer. It's the study of what's right or wrong. A lot of times that discussion, though, also changes to the question of is there right or wrong uh, is a branch of ethics. Um, and how do we define those things? So... How is any of this relevant to what I was just talking about with suffering, right? Um, <laughs> the question is, if God is all good, then why does he allow suffering? And the assumption inherent in that argument is that suffering is bad. So since God is good, he wouldn't allow suffering, which is bad. The question then is, how do we define good and bad? How do we know what's right or wrong? And again, please bear with me, this just takes and helps us put everything into context when we start talking about suffering and problems. So the problem of evil says that God is all good. Why does he allow suffering? So the argument is based on the assumption, again, that suffering is always bad. So let's try and define what is good. Um, this is a fun exercise. Fun. I don't know. I thought it was fun. I don't know if anybody else did. was uh, to define the word good uh, when we were studying this. And if you look it up in the dictionary... Uh, I, you can't see them on the slides at all. Um, I realize now that I put them too small, so I apologize. But uh, the definition of good is 
what is morally right. Okay, cool. So I flip over in my dictionary and I look up moral. Moral, having to deal with ethics. Okay, I go to look at ethics. Ethics says what is right or just. Just loops you around in another circle. But I went to right. Right says what is good. And I'm back at the beginning. So hence the whole circle I've got over here, right? Like we go from good to moral to ethical to right back to good without any clear definition of being able to answer what is good or bad. So if we're engaging with a really complicated question, we want to break it down to its simplest pieces when we're talking about suffering. And in this, God is good, suffering is bad, is the simplest way to break that down. I think the question then is how do we define good and bad is ultimately going to be the key to how we understand suffering as bad or is suffering always bad and I would contend that no it's not. Um, so with this thought, you know, I, I think uh, I've got a quote here, this is from Ravi Zacharias that I feel like explains this pretty succinctly um, and shows the problem that we have with saying Suffering is always bad, right? Because we've come up with that idea ourselves um, that suffering is bad, it's, uh, you know, or always bad, rather. So when you say there's too much evil in the world, you assume that there's good. When you assume there's good, you assume there's such a thing as a moral law on the basis of which to differentiate between good and evil, or good and bad. But if you assume a moral law, you have to also assume a moral lawgiver. But that's who ultimately you're trying to disprove. Because if there's no moral lawgiver, there's no moral law. If there's no moral law, there's no good. If there's no good, then there's no evil. This specific quote was an answer to a question to a non-believer um, who asked that very same question. If God is good, why does he allow bad things to happen? Or why does he allow evil? And his response is simply that. How do you define good? We as Christians define that as that as God. We know God is unchanging. God is good. So what we know about his character, what we know from his law, we know those things are good. Do any of those things ever say that you will not suffer? Spoiler, no. Um, now, does that mean that God doesn't want us to be comfortable, that God doesn't care about our suffering? And the answer to that is also no. So, you see this idea of comfort as being always good and suffering as being always bad is an idea that we've made up apart from God and it's largely cultural, right? If we look back at the verse that we read earlier, you know, it starts by saying, not that God is the God of suffering, right? There's a whole lot of phrases in there that also say God is going to comfort you in your affliction. So, what I'm saying here is that we see in the verse, it opens up and it tells us God's the Father of mercies. So that is something that we know about His character. What I am saying is that the suffering that we see in the world and the suffering that we're going to be talking about, it's never needless suffering. And that's the key difference. Right? God does not have us suffer for no reason. Period. It might not even be anything that we can see affected in our lifestyle, but that suffering always has a purpose. And so that leads me to point number one. I told you the intro was long, I'm sorry. Um, but we have to lay that groundwork. So my point number one is, a fruitful disciple 
knows God does have a wonderful plan for your life. Hey, right? But, oh, here's where it comes. For the believer, that plan is salvation from His wrath that we justly deserve. It is not a wonderful plan in the aspect of a big house, white picket fence, prosperity, money, whatever you want. So we know that God's plan for us is salvation, which is ultimately the good news. So we keep that in perspective when we're talking about suffering of any type. God's plan is eternal, not temporal. So, I have a book uh, that I got a while back that, that I thought was a little funny. It's a little tongue-in-cheek. It's called God Has a Wonderful Plan for Your Life. Um, written by a, a pastor named Ray Comfort. He can be a bit abrasive sometimes, but, uh, you know, the book is pretty solid. Um, on the cover of this book that says that God has a wonderful plan for your life is the martyr Stephen being stoned to death. So, obviously a little tongue-in-cheek, right? <laughs> um, we need to be careful when we read certain verses in the Bible. And this is very careful. There are plenty of verses in the Bible that can be taken out of context and very dangerous when we talk about comfort or suffering. You know, everybody knows that verse in, in Jeremiah. Um, you know, God has plans for you, plans to prosper. You know, and, and a lot of times that's taken out of context. Um, I, I always give Brett a hard time about, uh, you know, you can do all things through Christ. And I, um, cause it drives him crazy because everybody takes it out of context, so I take it out of context as much as I can. Um, you know, yeah, it is solid friendship right there. Um, in fact, like, it's funny, I'll be walking around Durham at some store or something, and they'll have, like, a poster of it. Like, people have this verse all over the place. You know, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, and I'll take a picture and send it to Brett. Um, that's a whole other sermon, though. But, uh, you know, so God's plan, he does have plans for us. But again, remember our first point. It's not plans for, he's talking about our eternal prosper, prosperity, right? Like, the eternal salvation that we get through Jesus Christ is the good part of his plan. You know, so it's more eternal in nature. Uh, and this is the key to us trusting him through affliction or trusting him through suffering, is we have to acknowledge that. God can see the whole picture where we're only seeing a small part. You know, um, one of my, uh, one, one, it's a really great show I watch on Netflix um, with, with my wife is uh, Lemony Snicket's Series of Unfortunate Events. Super solid. If you haven't watched it, it's pretty entertaining. Uh, but one of the things in there is they quote a poem um, about an elephant. And each person sees a different part of the elephant. And each person thinks a different part of it um, is because is, is what the whole creature is because these men, in fact, are blind. So this poem is actually written by uh, a man named John Sachs in the 18th century. And it's actually a retelling of an older Indian proverb. And it goes like this. You know, it was six men of Indistan to learn much inclined who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant, and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side, at once began to bawl. 
God bless me, but the elephant is very like a wall. The second, feeling the tusk, cried, ho, ho, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp. To me, tis mighty clear. This wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands, thus boldly up and spake, I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a snake. The fourth reached out an eager hand and felt about the knee. What most this wondrous beast is like is mighty plain, quoth he. Tis clear enough the elephant is very like a tree. The fifth, who chanced to touch the ear, said, In the blindest man can tell what this resembles most. Deny the fact who can, this marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. The sixth no sooner had begun about the beast to grope and sweeping, seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope. I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a rope. And so these men of Indistan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion, exceedingly stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right, and all were in the wrong. So often in theologic wars, the disputes I ween, rile on in utter ignorance of what each other mean. And prate about an elephant not one of them has seen. We have to be careful. So very careful to make a conclusion on something with only partial information. For example, in the midst of suffering, we likely cannot think of any good reason for that thing to happen. We might even think that our whole lives and never come to a realization of what good that suffering caused. However, God's reference isn't based on that ephemeral moment, but rather the entirety of time itself. The arrogance that we would have to assume that we know the whole story astonishes me, and I do it myself. But we see this biblically too. At the end of Job, God admonishes Job and asks him, where were you? when the world was formed. You know, and then goes on to question him about breeding habits of mountain goats. Like, the point is clear is that he's pointing out to Job that, Job, you have this limited view of the events of what you have seen. Whereas God's view is eternal. He's seen the whole elephant, right? He's not just looking at the one piece. So, does that mean that we shouldn't try to learn or try to understand or make any conclusions? No, the answer is wrong. Always approach learning and understanding in humility is the key, though. Right? So always be willing to listen. Always be willing to understand as much as you can. Because, again, God has that eternal perspective. So number two. Again, the danger we see in taking things out of context is used to preach heresy, we aren't called to comfort, but rather to pick up our cross. The Gospels say that we're to take up our cross. It's explicit in Luke 14, 27. Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So, we know bearing a cross is not super fun. So, number two is a fruitful disciple knows that we will experience suffering. Bummer. I'm sorry. Thanks for coming to my sermon. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
There's hope, though. So, we're called not to enjoy comfortably from a distance, right? <laughs> Thanks, Tim. I appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, we're called to pick up our cross as Christ takes up his cross before us, right? That's the wonderful plan that God has for us. You know, picking up a cross is literally in reference to him taking the cross to be crucified after being beaten horrifically. And crucifixion ain't no joke. The Romans knew what they were doing and literally torturing people to death. They were professionals at it. It was an incredibly unpleasant experience that could be described very easily as the epitome of suffering. And we are called to that. If we look at an example of the early church leaders and disciples, you know, Matthew tells us in his gospel, in chapter 10, brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his children, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Man, that doesn't sound super fun. Right? But we see this in the early church fathers, and that's the list behind me there, you just see they all clearly lacked suffering, right? You know, Philip's crucified, Matthew's beheaded, Barnabas is burned to death, Mark is dragged to death, James the Lesser is clubbed to death, Paul is beheaded, Peter's crucified, Andrew's crucified, Thomas is speared to death, um, and Luke is hung. Right? This is a big pick-me-up sermon this, this, this Sunday. Aren't you glad you came? So do we despair? No. Uh, take heart in knowing that God is using our suffering to his ends. Because if we again, if we look in context, what I see when I look at this list is I see a list of men that didn't repent their faith, that could have, as first-hand witnesses to the resurrection of Christ, could have very easily, well, most of them first-hand witnesses to the resurrection of Christ, um, very could have easily said, oh yeah, I must have been mistaken in what I've seen and not been brutally murdered. But that's not what they did. They stuck to the truth, which now, in context, if I'm looking back at it, strengthens my faith. It makes sense to me that these guys would not change their story to the point of torture and death because of what they'd seen because they'd interacted with the living God. Man. But in the midst of it, you didn't know that? You wouldn't know that? You know? Peter being crucified, I'm sure was struggling. Uh, John Vianney, or Vianney um, was a, as a Catholic preach. Sorry, Tammy. Um, he was a, a parish preacher who wrote a catechism on suffering. Um, and what he put in there I thought was actually put pretty, pretty beautifully um, for all those who, who, who didn't grow up Catholic like myself. Um, you know, a catechism is a summary of principles, um, basically uh, of the Christian religion in the form of questions and answers, and it's used for instruction, right? So what he tells us about picking up our cross is that the cross gave peace to the world and it must bring peace to our hearts. How all our miseries come from not loving it. The fear of crosses increases them. 
a cross carried simply and without those returns of self-love which exaggerate troubles is no longer a cross. Peaceable suffering is no longer suffering. We complain of suffering. We should have much more reason to complain of not suffering since nothing makes us more like our Lord than carrying His cross. Oh, what a beautiful union of the soul with our Lord Jesus Christ by the love and the virtue of His cross. I do not understand how a Christian can dislike the cross and fly from it. Does he not know at the same time fly from Him who is deigned to be fastened to us and to die for us? Wow. As fruitful disciples, we are called to be more Christ-like. And we do that by carrying our cross and enduring suffering in faith, trusting that it will serve God's purpose. Because again, what we've seen, what I've seen in my life, is that I've had suffering, that I've experienced suffering, and God has come through. There are times where I've had suffering in my life and I've yet to see how God has come through in that event. But that doesn't mean that He's wrong. Because of everything else that I've seen, my faith in Him is that there is a plan for that as well. As trite as that can sound, that the suffering is not needless. So, number three. Since we're going to experience suffering, again, Exciting. Number three, we know that a fruitful disciple does not bear fruit in spite of that suffering, but rather because of it. I've personally seen this happen in my life. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the suffering that I've experienced. I mean that literally. I would not be in North Carolina except I went through some crazy suffering, right? If y'all don't know my story of how I ended up here, I was not following God. I was an atheist. I was dating this crazy girl. And, oh, I made, I made poor choices. It, it, was, it was what you would def- define as an unhealthy relationship. Um, I think it's culturally how you would probably put that. Uh, you know, so anyways, I move out here. I have this girl moved out here, you know, uh, and... Oh, I don't know. I think it was like three or four weeks after I moved out here. My best friend from back home at the same time moved out here, and then they moved in together because uh, apparently they had something going on. So, you know, that's my assumption. Uh, I, I haven't had a lot of engagement with them after that to verify, to be fair. But at that point in my life, I thought it was the worst suffering I'd ever been through. I was alone halfway across the country from any family. I was living in a hotel, you know, and for some reason, I was like, well, I got a job, so I guess I'll stay, you know, and so I I lived in a hotel for a couple months and then got enough money and and rented a house uh, in Burlington, and uh, working that job is where uh, ultimately I met uh, Blair and John from there, and, uh, you know, the Horners and their family. I'm super stoked you guys are here, you know, because uh, I ultimately ended up with family out here. So, you know, but in the midst of that suffering, that's not what I was seeing. My suffering 
through that experience, ultimately led me to find the Lord. I was just driving back and forth to Durham, going to church with John, being a jerk, asking really pretentious questions to John. I remember one time we went, we'd always go to like Barnes and Noble because your mom was obsessed with Jason's Deli that was right next to it, and we'd always go there. But you know, I went and I bought uh, a, a, a book by Frederick Nietzsche, and I remember driving back in this discussion about you know talking about right and wrong, and uh, you know basically this whole question. I was like, oh, you can't know what's good or evil. And John was like, yeah, you can. <laughs> it was just very matter of fact. I don't know why, but that discussion really stuck with me. Um, you know, <laughs> looking back on it, I'm like, man, I, saw, I see what God was doing. In the midst of it, that's not what I saw, though. I do wish I could remember that every day, though, that God's suffering for me had a purpose. Right? And He helps me to depend more on Him. And in fact, He can help me be an example to others around me through that suffering. You know, the word used here for comfort is, uh, in the Greek, it's called periklesis. That's my best pronunciation based off of Blue Letter Bible. So, y'all that actually know Greek, don't judge me. Um, And it doesn't mean comfort, like we tend to think of comfort like sympathy, like, oh, poor you. Have some ice cream. You know, um... It means to come alongside with help. And in fact, it's the same base word that's used later in John to describe the Holy Spirit when he's described as the comforter. So comfort here isn't the absence of suffering as we're looking at this passage, and that's very important for us to understand is that what we're talking about here is comfort isn't a promise of avoiding affliction from the Lord, but rather a promise of the Lord to help us endure the affliction. Again, I know I can sound trite that God has a plan for suffering, especially in the midst of it. You know, but He is our loving Father. And He would not have us needlessly suffer. It has a purpose. His purpose. We see that in Genesis, the verse up here behind me. For As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So even if you talk about people making poor choices and that's what leads to their suffering, God's got that too. It's all going according to His plan. And man, that can be rough to swallow sometimes. But if we keep things in perspective, if we keep that context, then it makes sense. So, number four, our suffering isn't only for us. Right? A fruitful disciple experiences suffering for the benefit of others. So I've seen suffering in my own life that's helped me. Yay. But that's not the only use of suffering. It's not just a self-help plan for me to get, become better. Right? What it is, if we look back at verses 5 and 6, we see that we share abundantly in Christ's suffering as we share in comfort. Just like Christ's suffering for us, our sufferings can be for the comfort. Again, remember, the word comfort here means to come along and help somebody else, not to pat them on the head and say, yeah, that sucks. Right? I mean, yeah, that's bad. 
So here's what happened when I go off script him. <laughs> We're offered a unique perspective through our suffering that we can use to minister to others. So the same word for suffering used in these passages, which is fun, is the same word that Peter uses to describe Christ's suffering on the cross. So again, what we see here is we have to keep this in, in, in perspective. Our suffering can be used to help others as God comes along and strengthens us. That's what it means by comforting us. At the same time, going through afflictions just as bad as Christ. And we can use those sufferings to help others. Let me give you an example. So my parents are divorced. Y'all learning a lot about me tonight. Sorry. Um, but uh, when you're talking about something like this, you've got to be real. Um, and so uh, I'm doing my best there. Um, but, uh, you know, so my parents are divorced. Um, through that process, I lost my faith ultimately. You know, um, I, I was raised Catholic. Um, you know, they don't, they don't look too kindly on divorces. Um, so we were kicked out of the church. Um, well, I wasn't, but uh, I had some questions because my parents were. And I went to the, the preacher at the time, and I told him, you got to go through this thing in middle school called confirmation in the Catholic church, you know, because they baptize you when you have a baby. So basically confirmation is like, oh, yeah, you're actually choosing your faith now. So I was going through that, had a bunch of questions. And I went and I was talking to the pastor about it. I was like, man, I just have so many questions. I don't understand. And his response to me was basically like, yeah, you should go find some answers for those questions. Which, at the time, I was like, ah, oh, that's cool. That's the best response ever. He basically said, you can do what you want. Now I look back on that, and I'm like, man, that was terrible. Somebody came to me today and said, man, I'm really struggling with my faith because I have questions. I'd be like, what are your questions? Let's work through these. Let's talk about it, man. Let's figure it out. Not just like, yeah. You should do something about that, which is basically the response I got, you know. Because of that, though, that drive to find an answer to those questions, the Lord knew what he was doing, because now I do all kinds of crazy research for stuff, and I, I, I'm not afraid to ask those questions or to push into them, you know, to, to really try and find meaning in my faith. You know, my life has provided me these unique experiences through my suffering that allow me to relate to people. They've gone through similar things. You know, you all have that same ability too. As disciples, you all have unique experiences that you've been through. Every single one of you. Could be suffering. Could be something good. It doesn't have to be specifically suffering, but what it is is that we all have unique experiences that God has placed before us, and we can use those to help others and to help them in our ministry. I know I keep saying this over and over again, but if you take nothing away, take away this, that God does not want needless suffering. God is in control. All the suffering that we do see, even if we don't understand it, God is able to use for good. So, lastly, the final point today is that suffering uh, is a shared experience that is powerful 
for community. Verse 7, you know, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in your sufferings, you also share in our comfort. Now this might seem like something very similar to the last point. Eh, my suffering helps others. Yeah, suffering is good for the community. Those are the same. Not quite. And why this one is separate is because it's very important to know that this verse, the, the wording in point number five is very explicitly laid out as a dramatic call to fellowship. Not only can our suffering benefit others, but it's not something to be endured alone. We see through the whole Bible that God wants relationship. We are called to be more Christ-like as we become fruitful disciples, meaning that we should also seek relationship with God, with others. We share in the sufferings. We share in the comfort. My tendency when things are going rough is to withdraw, to be honest. You know, I tell myself, I got to pull back. I need to take care of myself. But nine times out of ten, honestly, that hurts me more than it does helping me. It gives me more time to focus on myself, which culturally seems like a good thing. But typically what that leads to is me and my thoughts spiraling down and becoming worse, and I struggle more. If we are involved in active community with each other, it does two things. It forces us to not focus solely on ourselves. And it provides a support system of others that can help us when we're struggling and that we can help them when they're struggling. That's the key. Is that we are in this together. We are called together to be the body of Christ. To work together. To help each other. You know, I don't know who needs to hear this, but I know I need to preach it to myself all the time whenever I'm struggling is that I'm not alone. And that doesn't just mean God. But it does. God is always there with me. But also as a body of this faith, you are not alone. No one in here is alone. No one in here has to suffer alone. We share in that suffering. As one of us hurts, we all hurt. As one of us are comforted, we are all comforted. One of my favorite artists um, is, uh, is, is a gal by the name of Lacey Sturm. Um, and I, I, I quote a lot of her song lyrics uh, in devotionals and other random things because they're super powerful. Uh, she was actually the front, uh, front woman. She would sing for a band called Flyleaf, which is a pretty hard rock band. They're great. Um, they're not together anymore. She's broken up because uh, she wanted to spend some time with her family, uh, rightly so as a mom. But uh, now she has a ministry that she started as well 
Um, if you ever get a chance, check it out. Google it. It's called Re Reflect Love Back. Um, solid, solid theology in it. Uh, but the, the, one of their songs that she just released was called You're Not Alone. You know, and, and the lyrics to it say that it's stronger than the pain that runs through us. You can hear the angels saying that you're not alone. I think that's important. God's with us. Our church family, our church body is with us through that suffering and through the good times and the bad. So, see, it's sort of shorter than I did it earlier. I don't know. We're at the end. <laughs> Everybody's super excited about suffering now, right? Yeah? Super pumped to experience some affliction? I, I understand. You can't, it's hard to leave a message like this. And it's hard to be pumped, you know. But the key is to know and to keep things in perspective, right? God has a wonderful plan for your life. We as believers know that that's an eternal salvation, not just worldly comfort. We as fruitful disciples know we're going to experience suffering. But we know that not just, because, not just enduring that suffering, but in spite of that suffering, we will bear fruit. We know that those experiences help us benefit others. And we know that we don't have to do it alone. That it's powerful for our community. So, I've got one more quote for you all tonight. Because it's easier to, to quote smarter people than me than to write my own, uh, my, my own sermon. So, uh, <laughs> pro tip. Shannon, you were asking about pro-teaching pro tips. There you go. Quote the Bible often. Then they can't tell you you're wrong. Um, <laughs> so this is, again, if we keep things in context, we can endure. I'm not calling on you to enjoy suffering or affliction because I myself can't do that. I'm not saying that we're always going to be perfect. But if we keep things in perspective about why there is suffering, then we can trust in the Lord to get us through it. So, Tim Keller says this. The problem is that contemporary people think life is all about finding happiness. We decide what conditions will make us happy and then we work to bring those conditions about. To live for happiness means that you're trying to get something out of life. But when suffering comes along, it takes the conditions for your happiness away. And so suffering destroys all your reason to keep living. But, to live for meaning means that not that you try to get something out of life, but rather that life expects something from you. In other words, you have meaning only when there is something in life more important than your own personal freedom and happiness. Something for which you are glad to sacrifice that happiness. That's what we're called to do as disciples. We know there's meaning greater than me enjoying myself. Than you enjoying yourself. We know that that's not the end-all, be-all of our existence. Once we know that, then we can endure. 
Because all of a sudden, me losing my happiness isn't bad. That's not the end. The end is not for me because all of a sudden I can't go to cookout and get some burgers, right? Because I really wanted them. You know? The end is knowing that God's plan is the ultimate. Not my own personal happiness. That's truly where we can endure and understand their suffering in context is knowing that our personal happiness isn't the key to everything. Our personal prosperity isn't the key to everything. And it really changes the perspective for how you look and how you interact in your daily lives. You know, it's um, been very interesting for me after been had strep throat for the last two weeks because I was stupid and didn't go to the doctor soon enough, which is also why my voice sounds really rough tonight. So I had a lot of time to think about this. And, and you know, there were days I didn't feel super great. I'm not saying they were the worst suffering I've experienced in my life, but they certainly weren't pleasant. But in context, looking back, it was that God knew I needed more time to think about this. So that way, hopefully, I could share some of it to you, with you and you all could understand. So, again, tough message to walk away from. Um, feeling encouraged, feeling hyped. So I'll leave you with this. That, man, I am hyped, right? God's got a plan, despite all this bad stuff. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter because God's one already been done. So, no matter what affliction I'm going to face, no matter what trials I have to endure, am I going to enjoy them? No, but I can endure them because I know there's for a higher purpose. I'm just being real, man. Somebody comes up to me and starts and like crucifies me. I ain't going to enjoy that. <laughs> but, I will not recant my faith. Because I know there's a higher purpose. To it. Lord, I pray that I don't have to do that. Because I do like comfort. That's not bad. God's not against comfort. Right? But you just might have some other purpose for what's going on in your life. Uh, so I think, John, you guys come back up and sing another song? All right, uh, I'm going to pray while a man comes back up. Lord, oh man, help us know that this journey of being a disciple of God is not going to be easy. In fact, we're promised a lot of places in Scripture that it's not going to be easy and it's going to be hard. Help us to trust you through that. We pray that you comfort us by coming along and strengthening us in this journey so that we might endure together and be comforted from affliction. God, help us not to have our faith waver in the midst of the struggle with suffering, with affliction, but in fact, help those things to strengthen us, strengthen our faith, strengthen our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.